Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 113. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Sandy, good to see you again. Hey, Rob, how's everything going today? It's going good. It's going good. How about you? Uh, fantastic. fantastic. Getting any sunlight, going outside, going for walks, that kind of stuff? Uh, actually, yeah, I'm at the office right now. Getting out a bit. Yeah, that's good. Me too. I'm we don't have any other people around here, really. So just, just like a couple of us here, uh, pretty much every day, actually, the last week or so. Fairly quiet. Yeah. Yep. Still hustling, but uh, doing it remotely, I guess. Yeah, things have changed, but it's still good. I think we can still make some stuff happen, right? There's, there's opportunities in this. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. Everyone listening should go to iTunes and rate and review the show. There you can look at uh, all of our past episodes and leave a comment. Let us know what you like to hear. Uh, ideas for guests, whatever it may be, just let us know. Absolutely. And, uh, and our website, breakthroughraapodcast.ca. You can pick up our free report there at the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Also get on our email list so you never miss a beat on what's going on with our show with different events we got going on street property tours all that sort of great stuff rob are you still doing the street tours are you doing them virtual i did a virtual anything? one last weekend uh i got some good comments on it um you know didn't get any action from it but um yeah but it was nice to sort of get it out there i'm gonna do a couple of variations on it i might uh, try doing a live zoom or something like this on Facebook. And then I'll just um, integrate the videos into it somehow. But uh, yeah, we're going to change things up a little bit. And, you know, like just yesterday, I got uh, my permits for a new project. So things are still happening. Um, just it took, it took a heck of a long time. We didn't put our work on hold, but we're basically ready for our inspection now. You know what I mean? Ready we did. Yeah, we got that. We got it. I heard a few, I heard, uh, well, with our construction team, they're not necessarily our projects. We got some permits in place yesterday that like they're starting to issue them again. Yeah. Not necessarily that you can work yet, but you're getting your permits. So once they change, it's like, just go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I always do it so that look, I put in my application, right? Like I'm not trying to hide anything. I put in my application and now the work can't go on hold. We can't sit there with an empty house for two months waiting. So mm -hmm. um, we're usually in there. Like, so the plumbing inspection already happened this morning and it passed, right? Like we were ready for 
and now I just got to get the building inspector in there for a first inspection. So, you know, we worked right up to the point where we couldn't do anything else until the inspections happened, but that's kind of the way I do it anyway. This time it just, it did take a little bit longer for sure. So. Yeah, it's been uh, a bit slower, definitely slower down with us too, but then we were able to do stuff. It's just slow. Yeah. Slow yeah, moving. Absolutely. Um, so there's some tweaks we're making here and there. It's fun. Some new hick, new, uh, new things to maneuver around. And we're doing a live Facebook feed right now too. This is our first one. I so know. Kind of interesting. Is anybody watching it right now? I just got it up. I got it up to test it because like we kind of did this off the off the cuff just out of nowhere. And um I see two people watching. One of them. Well, there you go. Me. But we got some action there at least. So if anyone's listening, um jump on our Facebook group. Uh for any if you're driving, I guess just pull over and do that. But breakthrough REA, sorry, breakthrough real estate investing. You can search that on Facebook and go jump on, give the page a like and um start watching some of these episodes. So if you're uh, not driving around or you're not in the gym like you normally would be, where you might might want to listen to this, you can jump on your phone or your computer at home and uh, and still join in and get all the fun action here. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So and we have uh, a, an amazing guest to talk to today. I'm very excited about it. Um, hopefully, I get the name right. <laughs> I wanted and, to see you say the name. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Andrew, is that how you say it? Yeah, I've been called worst, so uh, that's not bad. Uh, Andre, Andre, I go by Andre. Oh, it's just Andre. Okay, well, pretty name. straightforward. I say the last name, Rob. Go get <laughs> Makovachuk. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. Yeah, that's that's dead on actually. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, see, uh, right on. Thanks for being here today. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, Andre. So um, I'll do a quick bio and then we can get into some questions and hear all about your story. Uh, Andre uh, moved here to Canada, uh, the greater Toronto area in 2001 uh, from the Ukraine. His first job was delivering newspapers for about $100 a month at 10 years old. And in college, he had a light bulb moment after, uh, after seeing some of his friends um, a housing arrangement and he started comparing it to the prices of homes in Barrie. And then he knew he needed to buy an investment property. So by 19, he became a investor for the first time with his uh, parents, sold the house six years later, doubling their money, obviously had a bit of a light bulb there as well and said, we've got to keep doing more of this. And in search of uh, highest cash flow producing properties, he realized that there was an incredible deal south of the border. So started and now still buying uh, most of his properties in Western New York state. So we're going to get a lot more info on that as we go through the show. I think a pretty interesting topic there uh, about buying properties south of the border in the U.S., specifically New York. So not too far south of the border, but uh, but still driving distance, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, very much driving distance. So I think we'll touch on that a lot more throughout the show. But why don't you why don't you start off just telling us a little more about how you got into this world of real estate investing and and why you chose it? Sure, sure. So you did a good job on, on the bio. So basically, the light bulb moment was uh, in Barry. I used to go to college there uh, for a completely different, irrelevant field. But the good thing that came out of college, besides meeting my wife, uh, was um, I went to a buddy's house of mine, and he was living there. He was paying about five hundred dollars a month in rent, and this is two thousand and twelve, right? So Barry uh, home prices uh, are still low today, but that time they were extremely low. We're talking uh, on the average of 250 to 300 uh, range of, of home prices. 
and uh, these landlords are putting six, seven, eight bedrooms sometimes in, in, in these homes. Uh, so I saw his living condition and it was just a complete mess. I mean, a typical student rental. But regardless, people are paying and he's collecting money. So I'm thinking, you know what, we're, we're definitely doing something wrong here. Um, working, 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 because where is this working going to get us uh, doing nine to five? So uh, we ended up buying our first house. I, I hired a realtor at the time. Um, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know how to, what was a good deal, what was a bad deal. And sure enough, he sold us a home that how what I having known what I know now, I probably wouldn't have bought back in the day. But uh, at that time, we didn't really care. We just wanted to buy something. Uh, so we bought a home that was three bedroom, one washroom. I, I don't think it was even a thousand square feet. I think it was nine hundred and ninety square feet. I mean, we could have got so much better. But uh, he recommended to buy a little bit further from the college, so we don't deal with students. And I think as a new landlord, that was probably the right move to do because I don't think we would handle it with uh, student rentals all in the beginning. We sat on this property for a long time. I'm at the time, my mentality was, oh my God, you know, I'm going to pay off this property in 25 years. I'm going to be rich in 25 years. Then, then years go by and I'm, I'm still in college, still working. And, and, and I guess everyone has realized, you know, I don't want to wait 25 years to see the fruits of my labor. I kind of want to see what I can do with this now. So we decided to sell the property. Uh, and from there, we, I bought personally uh, my condo where I lived for the time. And we bought a property in, in Welland. Um, the reason I chose Welland was because, again, I, I had a moment where I said, you know, is there more to investing than just equity investing? I understand equity is the name of the game for most parts. But when you're, when you're uh, working a nine to five and, and cash flow is a problem, uh, then, then you're not really focused on equity because equity you can't tap in right away. So at least for me. Uh, so, so I decided to buy in Welland with my wife, um, and we bought a duplex for about two hundred thousand. The thing rented for seventeen twenty, so we were cash actually we still own it to this day. We're cashing about six hundred dollars a month, which was great. Then, then diving deeper into this cash flow uh, uh, game, that, that's when I kind of started to look at uh, Western New York um, area. Um, because, you know, if, if there was any other investment that I could see, that I, if I could buy a tractor and rent it out, I probably would uh, if it was easier than real estate. Uh, but I don't think I don't think that we I don't think that there is anything easier than real estate. Something's been done so many times over and over and over again. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're just doing what other people have done already. Interesting. OK, so now let's jump into what your favorite strategy is now. And uh, like, I know you, you mentioned where it is, but let's talk about what it is, I guess. Okay, so favorite strategy, uh, and as of now, I think where I am in my life, and I'm sure it's gonna change, actually I'm positive it's gonna change in the future. But as of now is um, buying something on an owner finance deal with roughly 20 to 30% down and paying it off over five years only because I've, I've been managed to get in these kind of deals. So I'll, I'll, I'll break that down. In Western New York, uh, and this is close to Buffalo, Western New York is because Buffalo, Niagara Falls, uh, Jamestown, close to the Erie, uh, Pennsylvania border. In Western New York, a duplex that's renovated, you can find for under, well, not under 45,000, you can say. Uh, and this duplex will probably rent for $1,200 a month. So now let's break that down. If I was to buy the same thing here, how much money would I have to deploy 
to generate $1,200 a month in, in uh, rental income, probably a lot more than $45,000. Um, so, so favorite strategy is there because even at a five-year payoff, at, at probably 6% interest, mind you, uh, we're still cash flowing in the meantime. So the cash flow in the meantime is about, I don't know, three, $400 per home. And you're paying it off in five years. Uh, but the guarantee is that five years from now, that home will not be worth a penny more than what you paid five years ago. Uh, that that, that I, I, I'm okay with. I, I can sleep with that number because um, in five years, I pay off the home. So my investment of $8,000 into this $45,000 home has now turned five times in five years. So I understand it's, it's a very low numbers when, you, when you're talking about one a home. Uh, but when you're talking about six, seven, eight, 10, 12 homes, then it starts becoming exciting. I'm excited about the first one even. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so now uh, one of the things that I've always been a little bit unclear on is how you're taxed on that income. Okay, so we're taxed, uh, in the States, there's a, something called a flow-through entity. And up until a few years ago, you could have uh, an, um, an LLC, I believe, that was a flow-through entity to Canada, which means this. In New York or, or in the States in general, more likely than not, you're going to be paying less income tax percentage than you are in Canada. So, for example, if I pay 20% tax income tax in the States when I file, in Canada, that income, on that same income, I don't have to pay 35 to 40%. So in Canada, I pay the difference when I take it to my accountant. I take that return from the IRS and I bring it to my accountant here and I say, charge me on the difference. Now, now we can't do that anymore because an LLC is not a flow through entity. Meaning if I pay 20% on an LLC in the States, I have to pay the full amount in Canada. For a Canadian citizen, everybody in the States says, oh, get an LLC, get an LLC, asset protection, asset protection. For Canadian citizens, it's probably the worst thing you can do. So now there's a little bit different tax structures that, that are more, uh, now I'm not an accountant, of course, but uh, I mean, we, we meet with enough of them that, that they kind of guide us all in the same direction. So basically what we do now is it's called an LP. Uh, and an LP, uh, you have a limited partnership. Between there is 99% owner myself, and 1% owner is an LLC. So, okay, fine. On the 1%, I pay double taxes of ownership, which turns out to be nothing. And on the 99% is the flow-through part, which is the bulk of my taxes, which then I can uh, do the difference instead of paying double in, uh, uh, in taxation. And I think this tax question, to be honest with you, was the reason why I never started in the first place. I was looking in the States from, from probably 2016, 2017 of about two, three years, driving down constantly and never being able to pull the trigger. And the more you read online, the more scary it gets, I feel sometimes, because everybody's bringing up their own problems of what they dealt with. And, and don't do this because of this and don't do this because of this. And then, you know, eventually you say, you know, enough is enough. Let's just do something and see how it's going to work for me. Because everybody's got their own kind of problems that more so are not going to relate to you. Maybe they're managing it differently. Maybe they don't have the right people in place. You know, I don't know. That was, uh, I was stuck in analysis paralysis for a long time. And then I, I finally decided, you know what, uh, let's just try it. So I tried it with one home uh, in 2019. And in that, I kind of held on for a year before I decided to do anything else. And then, and then we expanded further. Interesting. So you're saying the difference is about 
roughly 15%. Roughly 15%. Yeah. But, but you know, to be honest, I just did my 2019 taxes on the one home. Uh, there's no income. Uh, because after you, there's so many deductions that, that are allowed in the States that are probably not allowed here, including mileage, for example. So mileage in the States to calculate based on where you live. So I, have, I happen to live in Canada. So if I drive down once, once a month, they don't look at the gas receipts. They look at the amount of miles you put in and then do their own calculation based on of that. Um, so that, that, there's so many expenses that at the end of it, you're making money, but you're not showing any, any uh, profits. Right. Okay. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> um, so what are some of the uh, other challenges that you start faced when you're starting out in the States? I think that the, the difference between U.S. and Canada um, is the people. So uh, the, the people I'm dealing with is, uh, of course, low-income people. God forbid, I'm not telling you they're bad people. They're actually amazing people. You have to treat them slightly differently than, than you would in in Toronto. Actually, this would make sense even if you're doing downtown Miami or downtown Manhattan versus, versus some rural areas. Um, they're, they're slightly different mentality, uh, but they're not bad people. So what we have there is a lot of Section 8 tenants. Now, Section 8 uh, Canadian means one program, but when you break it down on a county by county level, it could actually be five, six programs. So basically what, what it turns out to be is uh, you have the, the government agency, so for example, Chautauqua Rent. Chautauqua County is where I buy. Chautauqua Rent will pay 70% of the rent. So if it's, I don't know, $1,000, they pay $700. And then the tenant pays the extra $300. These kind of tenants, in my opinion, are my favorite. Because the government always pays you on time. And the tenant, if he doesn't pay you on time, good luck trying to get back on that program. Those tenants always pay as well. Because they wait a long time, sometimes three, four years to even get on the program. So there's nothing they're not going to do to, to screw this up. Uh, so they're paying a lot, but there's a lot of paperwork involved. Of course, uh, you're dealing with uh, government agencies and they want to know everything in your blood type. Uh, so you have to, you have to uh, give them the paperwork they want, which is just a lot of setup. But once it's set up, it, it runs like a well-oiled machine because uh, I mean, we're not, we're not chasing people for money for the most part. I mean, even, even during this crisis, uh, people are still paying, I mean, I have one problem out of, out of 12 tenants. I have one problem tenant, which is, it's okay. I mean, I'll take those odds any day of the week. Well, that was going to be my next question, to be honest with you. And, and quite frankly, I mean, I'm, I'm roughly the same ratio as you here. So, you know, it's going to happen. There's, right. there's going to be right. someone that has a little bit of a difficult time, obviously, in, in this, you know, what we're facing right now. So uh, that doesn't sound too bad. Now, what is... What is do you want to, what is section eight exactly? What type of people are they just for the listeners to, uh, okay. to explain so a little section, more? You said there's five, six types. What does that mean? Oh, no, I'm just saying there's five, six types of programs. So for example, there's Chautauqua Rent and then there's uh, Chautauqua Housing Authority. Then there's another program called STEL. Uh, well, this is all in Chautauqua County in Western New York. So I, this will not apply all over the States. But the concept is the same thing. Uh, so they're all the same. Uh, program, except some of them even have like mental health programs. So if somebody is suffering from some sort of mental health, they go on this program, they provide uh, like counseling and, and guidance for them, and they pay 70% of the rent uh, if, if they qualify. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to these agencies directly, although I could, and say, listen, I got a vacancy and uh, put somebody in there. Most of the time, people will call me 
and say, hey, listen, do you accept X, Y, and Z program? And 99% of the time I'll say yes, unless I have a serious issue with that program that they don't want to deal with me or whatever. And I'll say yes, and, and they'll go on and uh, we'll go from there. Some of them will pay 100%. For example, DSS, which is Department of Social Services, uh, in, in Chautauqua County, two of my tenants are 100% paid by them. So I, I, I literally never have to, I mean, unless there's a maintenance or something, they never call me. Uh, but, I, but I do, I mean, of course, I'm not going now. Uh, on a regular month, I would go down there at least once a month just to kind of check up with them. One of the differences between Canada and U.S. is in the U.S., especially in cheaper areas like, like Memphis, like Detroit, like uh, Cleveland, there's a lot of out-of-town landlords. And the stigma behind out-of-town landlords is they don't care because most of them don't. They buy the property, they give it to some property manager that's been managing for 20 years. The property looks like crap. They don't fix anything. And the tenants hate the person, to be honest with you. They hate out-of-town landlords in general. Most realtors hate out-of-town landlords in general because they kill their city. And I agree with them 100%. So I go every single month, uh, not because I really have to. First of all, I want to. Sometimes I'm looking at different deals. Uh, or I just come and say hi to the tenants. And I tell them all the time, if it's not emergency uh, for maintenance, just call me. Most of the time, I would just bring something down for you guys, if whatever you need. Uh, but if it's an emergency, I'll send somebody, because I will. But I want them to know me. I want them to know my face. I want them to know me. I want them to know that I'm there and I care, because a lot of times, it's, you know, it's easier to not to pay rent to somebody they don't know than it is to somebody they know. That's really what it comes down to, is uh, I, I find my scenario, I, I mean, I've been really lucky with, with great tenants across the board uh some of them yes they have problems but at least those people call me in advance they'll say hey andre listen uh i got a for example i have a lady that works at mcdonald's mcdonald's in in new york is now drive-through only so they laid some people off and she's one of them that got laid off she called me two weeks in advance and say listen i'm getting laid off i'm gonna try to call unemployment but i heard the lineups are long and whatever so i, I gave her some numbers for unemployment and i said listen try calling these people and these people and, uh, and now we're working on a plan. So for example, this month I said, okay, you know what, Grace, this month is fine. Leave it as is, don't pay anything. Next month, pay the regular because we're probably still gonna be in this situation. The following month, you're gonna pay me an extra hundred dollars until you come back on your payments. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I have no problems with that. As long as there's a plan in place. What I don't like is when I call somebody and there's no answer, then we're gonna have a different kind of problem. Uh, but, but if somebody, if I call somebody or they call me and we work out a plan, great. Why not? Now, what is the landlord tenant situation like there? Um, is there how, when someone's delinquent on their payments, how is it to get them out? Okay. So compared to Canada, it's basically the wild west in the States. Uh, it, it's a, a lot more landlord friendly. So I, I actually dealt with this in, uh, in another city. It takes about two months, realistically. On paper, they'll say it takes 45 days or maybe 40 days or maybe 35 days. Uh, realistically, because courts are always backed up, it takes about two months. So you start off with a five-day notice and you give them a 10-day notice of pay or uh, leave. And of course, they're not going to leave. If, I mean, if, if they're problematic, I'm talking about worst case scenario for, for all of this. They're not going to leave. Then you go to court, you get a, a judgment. And most of the time, within the judgment, it takes another 14 days for the sheriff to come and actually evict them. So it takes about two months, but you will get them evicted. Now, 
during this time is where it's a little tricky because the governor of New York said there's no evictions for 90 days. That's until June 20th. So, so now, especially during this town, uh, you're, you're really kissing ass to a lot of tenants uh, because you have to. I mean, there's no choice. I mean, normally I'm nice to everybody regardless, but especially during this time, you have to, you're not raising rents. You're not, uh, you're not causing problems that, that shouldn't be caused. Uh, if, if something's dirty, if the grass is not cut or whatever, you're just kind of staying quiet uh, because we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with, uh, you know, uh, trying to evict somebody and then they say, you know what, I know my rights. And, and you know, all of them do. It's not like we're hiding anything from them. It's all over the news. They all know what, what they can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so during this time, it's a little bit different. On a regular month, last year, maybe six months from now or four months from now, it's, it's pretty much the Wild West. You can raise rent as much as you want in the States. Now, I'm talking uh, New York State. New York City, like Manhattan, has its own uh, rules. And most of the time, it's a lot of rent control in New York City, so you can't raise rents or whatever you want. But in New York State, as a, as a whole, you can raise rents to whatever you want. So, so when I buy houses, I almost never care about the current rents. Uh, because it doesn't matter to me. I just look at what I know I can rent it for and, and what the expenses are and, and if there's um, separate meters for everything. That's what I re- know my numbers from. But what they're paying now, a lot of people are scared. Oh, you know, you can only raise it $25 at a time or $50 at a time. The way I look at it is I don't want to have a difficult conversation twice. Uh, so if I buy a house and, and somebody's paying three or $400 for a two-bedroom, and I know I can get $600 for the same, or $650 for the same two-bedroom, I'll make the call. I'll give them sufficient time, usually over two months. I don't have to. I only have to give them 30 days, but because I want to. I want them to want to live there. I don't want to force anybody in living anywhere. I will raise the rent to whatever the market value is. Not over, but whatever the market value is. And that will be right off the bat. Uh, because if, if if they're not okay with it, then what? Why, why are we wasting time? There's no point in me raising fifty dollars at a time to get to the point where they're not okay with it, because they're just gonna hate me every every single six months. I'm calling them to raise rent. It's not gonna make sense. Just have a difficult conversation. One, rip the bandaid off, and say, "Listen, this is what's going on. I'm giving you two months, lots of time. I understand this is a financial decision. Uh, you know, you guys decide for yourself." In two months or, or in a month, I'm really going to need a decision because I, I have to know if I'm putting it up for rent or if you guys are staying and I'll give you a new lease. That's so, interesting. Quite a bit different. Yeah, yeah. there's quite a, quite a few differences there. Some, yeah. a lot of positives, actually. A lot of positives. <laughs> what are and the, this is, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask, what are, I was going to ask the price points of the houses. You mentioned a couple of prices, you know, 50000 ish, something like that. I mean, obviously, that's pretty attractive to people. How did you, okay, so, how did you, what are the prices there? And how did you end up in the areas that you're in? How, did you explore other areas first? I, I did. Uh, first I was looking in, uh, which I should have bought, mind you. If I bought three years ago, I mean, I don't want to play this if, if this, if this game. But uh, three years ago in Buffalo, I think I would have probably doubled my money already uh, in Buffalo uh, because Buffalo prices for some reason exploded, even for, for crappier homes. So the thing with you guys have to, uh, most listeners have to realize in, uh, in Niagara Falls, New York, Buffalo, New York, and most of Western New York, homes are probably going to be close to 100 years old. Maybe, maybe 70, 80, but close to 100 years old. Uh, that doesn't mean they're cheap. 
So in Buffalo, a hundred-year-old home could be a duplex, could be one hundred and fifty thousand, one hundred and seventy thousand, and you're probably renting it for sixteen hundred dollars a month, eight hundred each side. In Jamestown, my first property was forty-two thousand. That one I put uh, eighty-four hundred down, and the owner gave me a five-year mortgage at six percent interest, fully amortized, meaning I pay off the property in five years, no balloon payment. The payments are roughly six fifty a month. Um, are we talking American dollars or Canadian? All, all American dollars. All American dollars. So, so e even for myself, the only time I calculate the, the conversion is when I first transfer the money for the down payment. Uh, other than that, I, all my numbers, I count all the uh, profit or loss I calculate in U.S. dollars because I mean we're working with U.S. dollars, so so there's no point of trying to um, bring Canadian into this. The first property was forty-two thousand. And I, I looked at a building, it was 21 units in the same city in Jamestown, New York. Uh, it, they wanted 299,000 for a 21 unit building. And we almost pulled the trigger, but in respect, 21 units, 299,000. <laughs> all, all in one, all in downtown of Jamestown, which, which is very good. We almost pulled the trigger, but they're all one bedrooms except for one unit. That was one problem I had with it. Second problem I had was they didn't have separate utilities. So the mortgage payment happened to be the least expensive expense out of the whole picture. Uh, you're paying about $1,200 or $1,300 a month for electricity. Same, same thing goes for uh, gas and about 2,000, no, sorry, about $500 or $600 a month for taxes. It didn't make sense. I, I think I could have got maybe nine, at most I could have squeezed out 9,000 out of that building maybe 10,000 out of that building. And, uh, and I'm making about $1,700 cash flow. So it didn't make sense for me to, to put all this money and, and take all this risk. And you have to fix up some unit for such little money. That agent, God bless him. So he said, uh, listen, you know, I have five other properties owned by one guy. He's willing to sell them on an owner finance. I said, okay, let's go look at them. The total price of five properties, I think he wanted about 220,000. We ended up getting it for 177, uh, something like that. 177,000 for five properties, and this was 12 units. Uh, all of them, three duplexes, one single family, and one triplex. Also, 20% down, uh, five-year payoff, and that goes. So now I'm at the fourth. Sorry, yeah, now I'm at 12 units. So that was that has been working out for me perfectly. Uh, that's kind of the price. So imagine divide 177 by by, uh, by five. I mean, we're not, we're not, this is, the prices are not compared. The price is almost laughable uh, because when you look, when I, when I look here at a cash flow and deal at 200,000, you say, okay, this is a great cash flow. This is a great cash flow. When you look over there, it's kind of like, it's completely different. I, I bring some buddies down, actually. I bring some buddies from my old workplace uh, to the States. I brought one of them down the first time around, kind of looking, looking, looking. Second time he buys one house, third time he buys another house, fourth, so now he has three properties in a matter of a month. All cash, all cash. He said, why didn't you bring me here a year sooner? He said, you have to look, you have to look because people are not bad, they're good people and you will get paid. I mean, they have horror stories of, of tenants, sure they do. I, I don't blame the tenant, I blame the landlord that put him there. I mean, there's signs, there's always signs of somebody, some, something like that. I mean, why, why did you put him there in the first place? Sometimes, sometimes you get it wrong. That's where the one in 12 kind of ratio comes, comes in. But uh, if all your tenants are not paying, that's a you problem. That's not a tenant problem, in my opinion.
So how do you go about, I'm assuming you have a bit of a team set up there in the area you're, you're, you're focused on. I'm assuming a realtor or property management maybe, or maintenance. How do you go about building up a group like that? And and how did that look for you? Yeah. So the realtor has, uh, uh, his wife manages a rental portfolio. I think they have about three or 400 uh, units they manage, not in Jamestown, but kind of all over. Uh, The one I'm dealing with now, the realtor is also a young guy. He's just a, superstar. I mean, he, he does about 50% of all the county's listings and it's him and his wife only. So he does over 200 transactions a year, uh, just him and his wife and he's in the superstar. So he knows a lot of uh, deals that are ready to come out. For the, as for maintenance. Going there, for the listeners, if you want to, um, do you want to shout out who that is or do you, yes. can they, reach, they can reach yes. out to you maybe? Taylor Bennett from Keller Williams over there. He's a superstar, superstar, absolute superstar. Uh, I mean, there's no better agent than him, I, I feel. Here, let me talk about this for a second, actually, because uh, I think agents are very important in those cheaper areas. What you're going to find is that the cheaper the houses, the worse the agents are, at least what I found. So you have people that I call, never call back. You, you ask certain questions, they don't know the answer. I don't know where they're getting these listings from. Or, or how they're, like, I don't know if somebody's just giving them these listings, but it seems like they're not engaged in the job. To put it in perspective, I wouldn't be engaged, I think, either. I mean, if you're, you're charging 3% on a $40,000, you are not making a hell of a lot of money. That's why you have to do this serious volume, serious two, 300 homes uh, to, to make a living uh, in there. So I, in a way, I kind of don't blame them, but then it's kind of like, why did you pick this profession to begin with? Uh, but a lot of them, a lot of them are, are, are no good. So when you find a good one, don't let them go because uh, because there's nothing else out there. Uh, so let's go back to maintenance. I found it also through it. No, maintenance I found through the first house I bought. He kind of recommended the realtor at the time. Uh, he was an ex-FBI agent for many years. He's as straight as straight can be. He recommended me a guy. It was an older gentleman. Um, I think he's retired. He's like 70 years old. And he kind of just goes around and, and does stuff for me if I need to be done. Uh, he's been great for me. I mean, uh, there's nothing that I asked him to do that he didn't do. I mean, I'm not going to ask him to go on the roof in his age, but uh, if anything small breaks down, he's, he's always there and uh, available. So that, that's kind of uh, my team. And, and the realtor kind of helps me with the management aspect, the lease out units or anything like that. But there really is no management. I mean, maybe when you start getting to 40, 50 units, that'll be different but at 12 units i mean maybe i make two or three phone calls a month to remind people hey this is the first go to the bank and pay your money uh otherwise there's not really much to to do and it sounds to me like it's pretty important to you obviously to find these owner finance deals how many of these are there it seems like there's an there's an abundance of them to choose from and you've just found the right ones Actually, uh, no, there's, there's really not a lot. So if somebody's advertising that, that there's, that they accept owner finance, I would say 99% of the time, it's because the property has something significantly wrong with it. I mean, it's probably a full rehab or, or uh, and by the way, I don't buy full rehabs because I don't want, I just buy something that's already rented. I raise the rent slightly or, or to market and that's it. But if somebody's advertising owner finance, maybe, now let me back up, maybe in two months, when the state sees a different kind of market, there'll be good homes on owner finance. But most of the time, it's, it's not good homes on owner finance. Why I look for owner finance to begin with? We're Canadian citizens. But the work with a bank is not exactly friendly. Now, uh, 
when I first started this, I called about, I don't know, close to hundred banks in that area. And I kind of asked, hey, listen, Canadian citizen buying for investment, can you work with me? No. Next question. Canadian citizen, can you work with me? No. So you find people after calling uh, so many different banks. So I did find a bank, it's called, uh, if you don't mind, I'll say Lakeshore Savings. They're willing to work with investors. The way it works in the States is the more mortgage you're asking for, the more likely you're, you're going to get it. If you're asking for a mortgage on a $30,000 property or $40,000 property, they're going to tell you to, to get lost. If you're asking for half a million dollar mortgage or a million dollar mortgage, then you're more likely to get it. It doesn't matter if you're from Canada or Uzbekistan. It doesn't matter. You're going to get it most likely no matter what. Because they're looking at the, the asset itself. That's the most important thing. They do a lot of asset lending. If, if you're asking for, for example, I, I spoke to a guy of First National in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. And they, they kind of do uh, lending uh, state, like, sorry, countrywide all over the place. For him, a minimum criteria was a $500,000 mortgage. He said, once you tr cross the threshold of $2 million in mortgages with us, you basically name your terms, name your rate, I mean, as far as you can. You name everything at that point. But when you're, when you're dealing with a lot smaller properties in the beginning, it's the hardest. Uh, so you have to go kind of find these owner finance or, or something like that. I mean, of course, you can buy cash, but then your cash is obviously going to run out one day. Uh, so you kind of want to leverage as much as you possibly can. That's the problem we've been dealing with. Um, not really a problem, but, but it's cheaper to go the owner finance route. Even though I can go to Lakeshore Savings and maybe put 25% down, 25% down comes with appraisals and comes with application fees and it comes with other fees that the bank puts on. So now you're looking at five different properties, five appraisals, five applications. Uh, so, so it becomes like maybe an extra 10, 12,000 in fees that are just needless if, if, if you just go the other route. So have you been, have you been to buy these properties? Are you going and seeing them first? Or is it, is it through the realtor? Is he finding uh, these owner financing options or how does that look usually? Yeah, so he finds owner financing options. I call around all the time as well. Uh, I mean, I call agents in, in other states as well uh, to kind of put out my name out there and say, listen, I'm in, I'm, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've been doing. And, and you know, kind of let me know if anything goes. Uh, but he's the one that, so far in Jamestown, he's the one that calls me and says, hey, listen, I have this, I have this. Actually, there's one, there's one more that I'm, I'm hoping to secure very shortly. It's about a seven unit for 110,000. Uh, and it's outstanding shape. Everything's outstanding. The roof's good. The siding's amazing. Everything's uh, solid. And it's all two bedrooms. And it, the two bedrooms, the best thing is they're massive. So the living room is, is about, I think it's about 20 feet long. So you could easily do it another bedroom there, three bedroom. Now you're increasing rent. Hmm. Anyway, most of them, he's calling me. Answer your question, do I go there? Absolutely. Uh, will I continue going there? Maybe that will change in the future. But for now, it's not a far drive. And, and I'm not that confident in, uh, in somebody else's word in the beginning. So I, I, I absolutely, I do go there. And I, I mean, it doesn't take long. It's a three hour drive where two and a half of the border is okay. Um, and I go and I take a look and I meet the people and, and that's kind of all part of the decision-making process. Sorry, so where do you see your business in the next five years? Where do we see in five years? So I, I think um, with this coronavirus, obviously it's a, it's a very sad situation. Um, but I think it brings opportunities in, in different states that are going to be hardest uh, impacted by it. So I, when I look at different states, I think it's going to be... Um, 
Southern Florida and all the sand states, meaning Nevada, Arizona, and, and Southern California, kind of. Southern California is very expensive. Nevada, like there's nobody in Vegas right now. All casinos are closed, all hotels are closed. I think they're gonna see a different uh, market in the near future. So where do I see it five years from now? I, I'm hoping that if something happens significant in Southern Florida, I'll, I will personally take a break from Jamestown take advantage of that because I don't think five years from now we're going to have this kind of opportunity. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I think that when something is so obvious, for example, in 2008, 2009, a lot of people were made millionaires out of Southern Florida because they were buying homes for 60, 70, 80,000 that are now worth three, 400,000. So if I see something like that, for sure, I'll be going there. If not, five years from now is, is most likely I'll continue buying homes in Jamestown until I reach a certain level of comfort of, of cash flow uh, that I can go kind of gamble, if you will, on uh, equity plays elsewhere. Uh, for now, I, I don't see myself doing that in this immediate moment. I don't see myself. So I, I will continue buying for cash flow only, even though it's not going to go up in value. That's fine. That's fine by me. Uh, but for now, it's cash flow, cash flow, cash flow up until I can feel comfortable to, to cross over into uh, appreciating assets. I like that, though. You're rolling with the punches. Yeah. Got a contingency plan. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what's the biggest tip that you can give to anyone listening right now who's just starting out, say? I think the biggest tip is um, I'm, an, I'm an agent here in Canada. And as, as agents here in Canada, we always tell people, uh, buy this, it will be a good investment. Buy this, I'm going to invest in. I think you should just do your own homework and, and expand your horizon. Just look elsewhere. It doesn't hurt. You don't have to do anything. You have to know the difference between a Canadian investment and a, and a U.S. investment or uh, investment in Mexico or investment in England or investment somewhere else. Just do the research and look. And then when you've done your research sufficiently, don't overthink it and just jump in and do it. Because if other people have been doing it, they're making money. Unless you're doing something significantly wrong uh, or you're approaching it from the wrong way, you're going to make money. I mean, it's very hard not to make money when you're paying 40000 you rent it for $1,200. You're not making money, then something's definitely wrong with you. You have to be making money in those kind of markets. So I think where people get killed uh, is the maintenance. Me personally, I don't, I don't buy crap. And I, I buy something that can at least last five years. Because if it can last five years, in five years, I'll figure it out. If the roof goes or whatever happens in five years, I, I'll figure it out because then there will be a surplus of cash. Uh, but in the meantime, if you're looking at something, just do it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? If, 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 if the properties go down in value, great. You hold it on longer. If you were planning to sell in a year, then plan to sell in three years. But, but sitting on the sidelines, sitting on the sidelines, watching your, your cash disintegrate because of inflation, it, it, that's not an option either. Well, I like that idea is do the research. So let's say you pick three markets that you might be interested in, and then you sort of analyze the markets. And then you go, which one is best out of that? And you pick one. And so let's say it's Jamestown. And now you look at three, three, let's even just dumb it down. You look at three deals and go, which one of the, out of these is the best. And then, you know, you, you've done your an analysis, you know, you've seen which one of those is the best. So just jump on it. Yeah. Of course there might yeah. be another better one there. If you wait three months or three years or or if you dug a little deeper, but you know, there is nothing that substitutes action now. But you can buy that one too. 
Yeah. Right. And I think I think uh, a lot of times people don't calculate the opportunity cost that's lost when you when you just sit on the sidelines. I mean, uh, that that I, I think about all the time in my experience. You know, if I don't buy this, that's fine. Maybe a better one will come. But what if a better one comes a year later? So so now a year later, what could I've made from this deal if I buy it now? I mean, they don't come often. I'm telling you, they don't come often uh, from there. But it doesn't take a lot of money to put down. So for people that say that you know, I, oh, okay, well I have no money. Okay, that's fine. You have a hammer and you have nails. So there's a lot of properties out there that, that are saying $2,000 down, literally $2,000 down, and, and they give you the property over 10 years, over 20 years, over whatever. Uh, so if you don't have money, that's fine. Go out there and, and build equity yourself. Put in some sweat equity. Uh, you don't need a lot of money. $2,000 you can pull from any credit card. I don't care how bad your credit is, you can go get a discovery card and get $2,000 on it. Uh, so I, I don't think money is ever the excuse. I think it's just uh, opening your mind to where you're getting their money from. I don't look at all debt, in my opinion, as bad debt. I mean, if you have a line of credit at 8 or 9%, you will make money in Jamestown uh, because the returns are about 35 to 40% on a cash-on-cash uh, on uh, cash return. I mean, you could technically borrow money at 30% from a credit card and still make money. Good points. That's pretty funny. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> what type of person kind of maybe are one of our last ones here, what type of person should be, how do you determine who should buy in Canada versus us? Like what is the strategy being Canadians? How do you make that leap? And how do you like, who should be actually looking seriously at us? What type of person, yeah, what type uh, of situation would they be in? I, I think anyone who's uh, looking for, for highly cash flow deals should be looking in the U.S. If you're looking for an appreciating market, you can look in the U.S., just not in, in these areas. I mean, there's a lot of appreciating markets, for example, California, for example, uh, Florida, Phoenix, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, a lot of appreciating markets that, that rise with the tide and the first ones to drop when the tide drops. Those are the kind of markets that I'm um, talking about. Um, what type of person? You know, I was thinking about this a lot because I always try to, well, when I find something that works, like this is working for me, I, I, I kind of want to tell everybody about it because I don't want to hold anything back. I just get so excited about it. I want to tell everybody. And then you, you start seeing the mixed faces of, of the responses of people when you're telling them. Some people are looking at you like you're crazy and some people are generally excited and want to do it. I think I have to train myself uh, to realize that not everybody thinks the way I think uh, when it comes to certain things. Um, so what type of person, the, the type of person that, that doesn't complain, I think, because what I, what, for me, most of it is not a problem. If a tenant complains saying, hey, listen, this guy's bothering me, lives upstairs or whatever, that's not a problem. That's a five minute conversation. Uh, but for some people, that, that, that's the end of the world. Or, or if a roof leaks and I have to send somebody to fix it, that's not a problem because it's not like I'm going out there to fix a roof. Uh, so I just send somebody, okay, here's $100, and, and that, that's not a problem for me. For some people, they say, oh, you know, if this happened, what else is going to happen? They try to make the worst-case scenarios out of everything. But for those people, I think you should stick to Canada where you can drive by more frequently uh, and check. Uh, but for people that kind of go with the flow and, uh, and, and take the problems on as they come, I think you owe it to yourself and your family to look at somewhere else. Uh, you don't have to pull the trigger. You owe it to understand uh, what the market is because uh, there's no excuse on buying. You, anybody can buy. There's a lot of people that, that buy with uh, owner finance or with bank finances. So RBC will do a, a loan for you. Um, but the terms are ridiculous. But if you're buying one property as a vacation or whatever, 
maybe it'll work. You're asking 35% down on a principal or 50% down on an investment from RBC and they will finance US properties. Uh, so you can kind of go that route. You know what? I think that that is a really good point. And I think that it's, it's, you, can, you can almost generalize that uh, to all investors is that you know, the key to being a good investor in general is the ability to overcome obstacles. If you have no ability to overcome obstacles, just don't even bother. Don't bother being an investor at all. Yeah, because you're going to hate it. For sure, you're going to hate it. And then you're going to blame probably the person that told you to buy it in the first place. Because that's the first person. And uh, so, so I tell everybody, like I said, I tell everybody because I'm excited about it. Uh, but I stopped kind of, you know, persuading people to do because really it's none of my business what they, bu- what they buy or don't buy. It's not like I'm getting anything out of it by telling them to buy in the States. As a matter of fact, I'm probably losing money as their agent in here in, 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 in Canada. Uh, but, but I get excited and I tell people that that's kind of what I do. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if they want to do it, great. You know, I'll help them whatever way I can to set up bank accounts in the state, set up everything. Uh, but if they don't want to do it, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to convince anybody. All right. Well, thanks for sharing all this. Uh, I think it's been great. Uh, I've enjoyed this a lot and uh, quite frankly, opened my mind up quite a bit. So uh, thanks for sharing everything. No How can people get in touch with you? I guess we can put it in the show notes. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll put my email there. If that's okay with you guys. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, email me. You can call me, text me. I mean, I'm always willing to talk uh, to anybody that wants to get more information about uh, anything or just kind of bounce ideas back and forth. If they're already doing it, then I'd love to bounce back ideas. Actually, I met an agent in my office that uh, used to run an investment uh, corp buying uh, New York real estate. We kind of just bounce ideas back and forth. And uh, yeah, I'm willing to talk to anybody. Awesome. Okay, go ahead and throw it out there real quick for, for anyone who just wants to write it down. Sure. Number is 647-405-9356. 647-405-9356. My email is Andre, so A-N-D-R-I-Y dot M-A-K 555 at gmail.com. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Uh, if someone wants to reach out to you, Sandy, what would they do? 2893896846 or Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork.com. And anyone wants to talk to me can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Thanks for sharing all this. Uh, this is going to be an exciting episode. And I'm sure lots of people are going to be interested in this. And I think that even if they're not interested in U.S. investing, there's a lot of tips and a lot of uh, information that you've shared that would be relevant to anybody starting out. So that's great. Thanks for coming on. I'm very happy you guys had me on. Thank Absolutely. You guys. Thanks. And by the way, before we sign off, Rob, to Facebook, we're on Facebook today. First time ever. If anyone's watching this on Facebook, rewatch, rewatching it. Cause it'll be out there to rewatch. Um, drop a comment in the, in the comments there, ask a question. You know, we can reach out to Andre, maybe ourselves if, uh, if you don't want to yourself or, or he'll comment on there and jump in and make a conversation of it. Great. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you all next time. Thank you guys. See ya. Thanks. thanks. See ya.